Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Getting Congress to act on climate change and flooding. It can be done. Bob Inglis. But until we hear the information from somebody that we care about, it's hard for us to change our minds. Pay as you go for the damages you're causing. So put it on the meter, put it at the pump, let the consumer see the actual price of, for example, coal-fired electricity. Right now, the health cost with coal-fired electricity, socializing of soot that goes on that means that people end up with the stuff in their lungs and they go to the hospitals and cost all kinds of money, that cost isn't on my meter. I don't see it. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? Extreme weather. As we release this podcast, Hurricane Irma is the latest threat. Is worse to come with rising seas and climate change? Most Republicans are not convinced. So Jim and I decided to ask a political and religious conservative for his take. What about the bipartisan attempts in Congress to push back against the Trump administration? Months ago, the Climate Change Caucus, 24 Republicans and 24 Democrats, helped beat back a bit in the House to stop Pentagon research into the effects of climate change on military installations. Yeah, one small victory. There's no doubt that solutions on climate change can only come if Republicans take the threat more seriously. Of course, Richard, you're not going to be surprised to hear me say the left is also a problem. The way that so many oppose free market solutions solutions or think the only way to solve the problem is with massive, expensive government programs. So our guest today is a climate change convert. We need more of those. A man who once called climate change a bunch of hooey. Former South Carolina Republican Congressman Bob Inglis joining us via Skype from Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Welcome. Great to be with you. Thanks very much. You launched the Energy and Enterprise Initiative, which is a campaign that promotes uh, free enterprise solutions to energy. Um, Tell us more about that. Yeah, so we we live to show conservatives that there's a there's a small government answer to climate change. What conservatives have heard so far is a bigger government that is going to solve climate change. It was called cap and trade. Uh, That was a pretty complicated scheme. They also then heard uh, a regulatory solution from President Obama called the Clean Power Plan. And so what they've heard is big government solutions. 
And so what we live to do at RepublicEN.org is show them that there's a small government answer. It's just leveling the playing field, eliminating all the subsidies for all the fuels, and attaching all costs to all the fuels. And, and there's, is there a tax as well in this proposal? It's not designed to be a punitive tax. It's just designed to say, listen, pay as you go for the damages you're causing. So put it on the meter, put it at the pump, let the consumer see the actual price of, for example, coal-fired electricity. Right now, the health cost associated with coal-fired electricity, the, the socializing of soot that goes on that means that people end up with the stuff in their lungs and they go to the hospitals and cost all kinds of money, that cost isn't on my meter. I don't see it. Um, I, I can't control it. Um, and, of course, the climate damages caused by uh, coal-fired electricity aren't at the meter either. And so I, as a consumer, don't get a price signal. I don't see it. And therefore, I'm not out demanding cleaner, better, faster, cheaper. I'm just stuck with coal-fired electricity thinking it's okay because – I can't see the cost that it's causing. So with that but with that cost signal in the system, energy that you get that comes from natural gas or even better, you know, solar and hydro, that would have a lower cost. The coal-fired power would have a much higher cost. The utilities would have a huge incentive to phase out the dirty coal, right? Right, and that would be accomplished through a carbon tax. And, of course, uh, the T word is the hard part there, right, the car- a carbon tax. Who would be for a tax, including especially Especially conservatives, conservatives yeah. But, but, but it's, uh, what we like to show them is a clip of uh, Dr. Milton Friedman on the Phil Donahue show. And uh, uh, Phil Donahue, a liberal from Chicago, is giving Dr. Friedman down the river about, well, what would you do about pollution then, Dr. Friedman? And Dr. Friedman, a, f- a father of modern conservatism, says, well, you tax it, of course. Well, oh, so- you, 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 are, you are preaching to the choir <laughs> Bob, of Jim Mets. You hit my sweet spot with that one. I'm a huge fan of Milton Friedman. And I can remember when I was a teenager arguing with my dad about the environment, and, uh, but then coming across Friedman's argument that, that we need people to p- pay the true cost and that a lot of environmental damage is when we're externalizing. We're passing the costs of the dirty water, the dirty air onto other people, and we're keeping the profits for ourselves. Yeah. So how, how much would the tax be per dollar, say? Or would it be a big tax or a relatively small tax? Uh, well, it's, it's, uh, it's relatively small, actually. Uh, most people are talking somewhere $25 a ton or $40 a ton, something like that. But the impact of that at the gas pump is uh, a direct uh, correlation. So if you put on a $25 per ton price on carbon dioxide, it increases the price of gasoline at the pump by 25 cents a gallon. If you put a $40 cent per, or $40 per ton price on carbon dioxide, it increases the price of gasoline by 40 cents a gallon at the pump. Uh, not catastrophic. And then at the meter, it's... A $25 per ton price on carbon dioxide is one to two cents per kilowatt hour. Um, if you're in South Carolina, you're probably right in the middle of that because we're 50% nuclear. If you're Washington State, you're way at the low end of that range because there's so much hydro there. If you're Indiana, you're, you're in bad shape. 
because Indiana is 97% coal. Um, and so um, they're going to pay the high, the highest range of that. Now, your, your idea also balances out the tax with various tools to make sure that this is a revenue-neutral plan. It's not just a broad tax on consumers. Wait, wait a minute. Revenue-neutral meaning that um, this may be a tax, but then there's a cut in taxes in some other area, right? Right, right. And how do you make sure it's fair and the and the costs aren't just, you know, falling much more heavily on some sectors of society and not so much on others? Yeah. So in the bill that I had, um, the Raise Wages Cut Carbon Act of 2009, um, I would have cut payroll taxes. Um, the Congressional Budget Office says that if you do that, if you swap uh, redu- by reducing that payroll tax and putting a tax on carbon dioxide, that the bottom 70 percentile do better under that system than they are doing under the current system. The reason, you can avoid some of the carbon tax. You can choose to turn down your thermostat. You can choose to put plastic on the windows in the winter. You can choose to carpool, perhaps, um, you can do some things to reduce your your carbon tax. In the case of the payroll tax, you can't do anything. It's the most regressive tax we've got. In other words, it hits poor people harder than wealthy people. Um, and so that's why I chose the the payroll As tax. As opposed but, to the in- income tax, which tends to be paid most heavily by more affluent people. So any cut of income tax is you know almost by definition a tax cut for for the wealthier um, sectors of our society. We're for individual tax reduction. We're for payroll tax reduction. And we're even for a dividend. Just just write checks to everybody. Return the money to the taxpayers like the Alaska Permanent Fund. All those are fine with us. Just as long as it's revenue neutral. No growth of the government here. While we're solving climate change, let's not grow the government. We're conservatives. So, Bob, you represented a very conservative district what made you change your mind about climate change? Well, it's a three-step metamorphosis for me. You know, um, for the first six years in Congress, I said climate change was nonsense. I really didn't know anything about it except that Al Gore was for it. <laughs> and uh, since I represented probably one of the reddest districts in the reddest state in the nation, uh, that was the end of the inquiry. So I was in Congress six years, out six years, running again in '04. My son came to me. Uh, he was voting for the first time. He just turned 18. And so he said to me, Dad, I'll vote for you, but you're going to clean up your act on the environment. Um, so that was really the first of a three-step process for me. The second step was going to Antarctica with the Science Committee, seeing the evidence in the ice core drillings. Third step was a Great Barrier Reef snorkeling with an Aussie climate scientist named Scott Heron, who I could tell shared my worldview um, without any words being spoken. Because I could see that he's worshiping God and what he was showing me. Um, Later, we had a chance to talk, and he told me about conservation changes he's making in his life in order to love God and love people. So what was the idea that made you change your mind? Uh, Was it that there's just evidence that you hadn't considered? Yes, there was evidence. But it was mostly uh, love, really, that made me change my mind. You know, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And so it was the love of my son and his four sisters, my wife, uh, 
it's the love of uh, uh, Scott Heron, that Aussie climate scientist. Um, is is that became more important to me than the political risk? And so, um, yeah, there is political risk, but uh, and there is plenty of information. But until we hear the information from somebody that we care about, it's hard for us to change our minds. Um, and it, it, we can really only change our minds in the context of um, grace, where we're, 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 we're thinking we're going to be extended grace. Otherwise, we hunker down and, um, you know, just uh, argue on, usually with greater volume. That's uh, such an important point you're making, that we only change our minds when we listen to those we love. Yeah. So, for example, I was once at a conference, um, and this guy turns to me and says, uh, did you buy carbon offsets for your travel here? As he proceeded to polish his halo. <laughs> and I, I said something about, well, I just read something in the Wall Street Journal, and I said, no, that's a scam, isn't it? He turned to the guy next to him and said, that's what they all say when they don't want to be responsible. If that guy told me what day of the week it is, I'd check my calendar, right? I mean, there's nothing that he could say to me at that point that that, that I would find interesting or relevant or persuasive at all. Uh, but contrast that with my friend Scott Heron. If Scott told me, listen, uh, here's this body of water. Let's swim across it. It uh, looks pretty wide, Scott, but if you say so, I'm in. Because I know that uh, Scott cares for me. Bob, do you think that a lot of people who are concerned about climate change have made kind of a strategic error by framing their arguments, basically that we're the good people, you're the bad people, you're the greedy people, um, and they've driven away some more libertarian or conservative folks who might be able to open their minds the way you have if they weren't so put off by the tone of the messenger, yeah, the, the tone really makes a difference. You know, um, I, I once uh, said to the guy that does our ad work, I said to him, Greg, I think you're right. Um, most decisions are emotional. And he said, correction, all decisions are emotional. Um, and I, I've come to that conclusion. That may seem irrational, and, and particularly the scientist among us might feel, you know, isn't that terrible? We're making decisions based on emotions. But actually, it makes us very complex beings and far more interesting than computers. Um, and so uh, we, we make decisions in, a complex, uh, in complex ways. And so it starts really with how we feel and whether we feel loved and respected. And if we do, then we're able to receive new information. Before we talk about your solution, many of the most strident supporters of President Trump are devout Christians. Uh, can you talk about the connection between loving God and loving the environment? Yeah, it's really quite a challenge. I was picking up my uh, some pants that had been hemmed by a seamstress in my town of Traveler's Rest the other day. Um, she has a Donald Trump sign in her window. And customer's wife came in to pick up some something had been altered and said to the, the proprietor, I hope you're not still for him. And uh, um, she says, yes, I am. And uh, so then the conversation went on to climate change and uh, says the customer's wife, uh, don't you believe in science? Proprietor, the seamstress, said, no, I believe in God. Um, and so what you got to know about 
people of faith is that many of us have been have been um, familiar with this contest between faith and science. And so accepting the science seems to be deserting God. Among many evangelical Christians, there's this contest between faith and science. Um, I don't think there's a contest at all. I think it's a little bit like my wife and I and our five kids. Whenever any one of them would walk, it was a big deal, you know, Come on, Robert, you can do it. Mary Ashton, take that next step. Come on, it's so exciting. That's my view of us and God and science. He's telling us, come on, I'll show you how I did it. You'll be amazed. Come on, take that next step. Kill cancer. Come on, let's do it. And so some things will remain mysterious to us, uh, but but we should see it as a, a wonderful process of discovery from a self-revealing God. And beyond science, or as, as part of the acceptance of science, um, isn't there also the Christian concept of stewardship, that we're not necessarily here to just exploit the earth, but we have a responsibility to protect it? Right. And, of course, the immediate pushback on that is some people who believe in dominion theology. They believe that um, what Scripture says is that humans were given dominion over the earth. And so if we are to have dominion over his creation, it sure must be very benevolent um, because he's benevolent. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we're speaking with former South Carolina Republican Congressman Bob Inglis. So, Bob, there was a program, a ballot proposal in Washington state based on a proposal by an economist named Jorman Baum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And it was a carbon tax for the state that was supposed to be revenue neutral with benefits going back to the citizens. It sounded like, you know, here you have this very environmentally oriented state. It sounded like a win-win for everybody. But in the end, a lot of uh, supposedly environmental organizations opposed it because they said it didn't do enough to, you know, fight the entrenched fossil fuel interests or it didn't satisfy other goals that they had like, you know, uh, fighting uh, income disparities and that kind of thing. So a lot of people, especially on the left, wound up opposing a very ambitious plan to cut carbon emissions for the state. Do you worry that kind of thing could happen at the national level? Yes, and I think that the Washington State Initiative is a real uh, uh, teachable moment, especially for those on the left. 
Yoram Bauman is a, is a great example of a conservative, thoughtful economist who could make this case to two fellow conservatives. Um, if, if you don't take that opportunity, you really are making the perfect the enemy of the good. So I take it you're not a fan of President Trump's plan to bring back coal. Well, no, because I think that, uh, uh, you know, the thing that is surely is going to happen here is truth ultimately wins out. I believe that very firmly. And so you can't go to the coal miners and say, dig on and then go to Texas and say to the frackers, frack on. It's you can't say those two things. They're inconsistent because because fracking has so sharply reduced the cost of natural gas um, that that makes coal less competitive, right? Right. It's uh, so it, you know it's convenient to blame it on the secret Muslim non-American socialist in the White House that he was conducting <laughs> a war on coal. Um, but he's none of those things, and he was not. If he had a war on coal, it's like the the end of Saving Private Ryan and the captain's down on the ground. He's got the handgun out. And he's shooting at the tank. If there was a war on coal, the guy in the tank is is George Mitchell. He's the perfecter of fracking. He's the one that did the war on coal. And Barack Obama, if he was conducting the war on coal, he's the captain of the handgun <laughs> uh, with a, a few regulations. But it was a thing called fracking that has destroyed the coal industry. And for people who don't follow the details, it's worth reminding them that natural gas has way less CO2 per unit of energy than coal. So even though you're still burning a fossil fuel, it's much better for the climate than coal. And it doesn't have all those nasty particulates and sulfur dioxide and all that other bad stuff. Yeah, so we, we see it as is it wonderful bridge fuel. Is it the end all? No, but um, it sure is a lot better. 50% less CO2, um, uh, it sure is a lot better, a lot cleaner, less small particulates too. So, Bob, before we leave you, I, I want to go right back to the beginning of our show and talk about what are the chances that you will convince more Republicans to take climate change seriously? Well, it's it's a building year, coach. That's what you say when you're not winning, right? So we got a long, we got a long a building way to go year. And this is another building year. Um, so, but um, folks are coming around, particularly young conservatives, um, want a, a a platform that's responsive to their future. And your own kids helped change your mind. Yeah, yeah, they. When, when is in the context of love and grace and somebody really cares for you, you can hear a lot from them. If you don't care for me, I'm not going to hear anything from you. And so um, that's what we need to do. We need to reach people and say, you know, we really like you. We think you're good. We think you got good ideas. And the idea is uh, actually if you, get, if you get into the discussion and pass the shouting, um, Really, we can find solutions. Um, it's just it's just the shouting that's the problem. Bob, that's a great note uh, to to wrap up on. Thank you so much, and and for the work you're doing, and for joining us on how do we fix it. Great to be with you. Thanks a lot, Bob. The perfect is the enemy of the good. This idea that if you only involve one side, say you 
you argue that only the left can solve climate change. That's not going to work. We've got to include and compromise with people we don't agree with if we're really going to have action on climate change. Yeah, and that Washington State example where there was a a very – clean bill that supposedly both sides should have been able to agree on but it got burdened down because people everybody said it needs to do more of this it needs to solve this problem it needs to solve that problem and they bundled together all these other issues and that's what's so sort of clean and focused about a revenue neutral carbon tax but any tax is going to penalize or hurt some people more than than others. Any, right. any kind of change in the way that we structure and things. And that's something that, that is often a lot of good policy ideas get hung up on this. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's a hard reality. People's lifestyles will change gradually. People's incentives will change. Part of the point of pricing carbon or environmental damage into the 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 price we pay for products, is to encourage different behavior. If it didn't inflict a little bit of pain, it wouldn't actually do that. One element of compromise that I think is really important is that both sides are allowing their most radical voices to be the loudest. On the right, you see the whole kind of Trump revolution really encouraging people to be as close-minded on climate change as they can be. And And, and just mocking the whole idea of it. Right, right. But on the left, so here's something I'm going to say that is completely counterintuitive, and and all my friends get mad at me when I say this. The left is also partly responsible for climate change denial. Remember that People's Climate March a couple of years ago? Some of the people that were involved in that as like official sponsors were the Young Communist League, the Revolutionary Communist Party, you know, Naomi Klein, the famous left-wing author – her a book a couple of years ago on climate change was basically climate change is our rationale for a world socialist revolution. Conservatives and libertarians look at it and they go like, whoa, I don't want anything to do with this. I, I don't think that a few fringe people on the left. Naomi Klein is a best-selling number. author. Okay, but She's interviewed a, on NPR. There are pretty, there are a pretty <laughs> small number. That, that it, the people who advocate what you just said about using it as an excuse for socialism and communism, that is way out on the left. And yeah. I don't think that most people who are it feel that, they're, that something needs to be done and that a big part of the problem is denial on the right You're, would you, argue that, that you, these folks are, are correct. I'm agreeing with you that it's a small number. So why not step away from them and be willing to compromise instead of encouraging them and bringing them to your marches and having them wave their signs about global revolution? The idea that a relatively small number of leftists have convinced the whole conservative movement to be opposed to climate change, nonsense. I think that's exactly what's happened. But maybe both sides should step away from their most radical. No, I agree with you on that. And stop alienating each other. When you bring Trotskyites to your climate march, I'm sorry, an awful lot of people in the middle are going to check out. That's a fair point. And I think that, that, well, I said it before, that I think climate compromise on both sides and respect on both sides. And this idea that Bob Inglis said about love being part of this. Well, that wasn't you, that cool? Th- yeah, And very the tone cool. that he's... I mean, I think for a lot of our listeners, the idea that you could look to evangelical Christianity as providing a moral basis for fighting climate change would really surprise a lot of people. And he, and he really spoke about that in a very moving way. Okay, to wrap up now. So our show is about solutions. Um, we agree that the different sides, that you, you don't convince people by shouting, that you do it by love. And there's also something we haven't talked about, which is local action. Is if you live in an area 
where your community could be threatened by sea level rise or by flooding, as we've seen with Hurricane Harvey in Houston, that you get involved locally in zoning decisions, in decisions about how your community will look like 30 years from now, because the roads we build today will be there for many years to come. That's a great note to end on. You know, there's a lot about this issue that you and I don't completely agree on, but I thought that, you know, Bob Inglis really set a tone for how can you discuss it? And if you're looking for policy solutions, maybe you accept that you don't try to do everything at once. And I think he's really setting a great example in that. I think you and I don't agree necessarily on who's to blame, but I think we do agree on the solutions. Thank goodness. (laughs) It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer, and our music's by Lou Stravinsky. We are a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.